Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. The Core 4 is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, along with GBB Live and the 3ND Podcast. You can find those podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. Find them on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than Connor Dunning, the producer of the Giannato and Jeffrey show every day from 2 to 4. Connor, what's up? Hello. Uh, I would just like with you to welcome everyone to Dylan Brooks Island. We've been waiting for a while now. There's plenty of room, plenty of buckets to go around. Sand Asylum's going to be here. Anthony's saying he's here also helping check you in. We've been waiting. Welcome. It's 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 a happy, fun place, I promise. It's the biggest party going on right now. It's a great party. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I just feel great because I was mocked. I was you were dragged! I was dragged because I wrote a controversial series before last season about Dylan Brooks's journey into becoming an elite role player. Broke it down into six different parts. And I remember that first game, he only played six minutes. And I saw a tweet from Nathan Chester saying, Parker Fleming wrote a six-part series on Dylan Brooks. So it was one part for every minute he played. Yikes. He only played 18 games last year. So he played three games for every part I wrote. That's a big... Okay, to go off of that point, that's a big thing that I feel like everyone kind of forgets about Dylan Brooks and the conversation about him is that we are actually in his second season. We're not really, yeah, like he, he had a, a full season of being in, in team meetings and, and run-throughs and this, that, and the other thing, but he couldn't really play that many games. He couldn't really get game action. He didn't really have the rhythm. And then that's why this at the beginning of this season, he's not only in a new system with brand new teammates, but he's also coming back from a from a pretty major injury, and he's having to figure things out. So, yeah, he struggled a little bit at the beginning of the season. But the reason everyone was saying that we were trying to tell people, hey, stay patient, it's coming, because you would see these flashes of just how incredible he can be on the scoring. He really is the perfect wing to be next to John Jaron, because if they don't have it, he can put the offense on his back for a little bit and go do it. Because he's not only just having an effect on the offensive end, but he's also doing a great job defensively. He's taking on the best wing def- the wing player on the defensive side while also being our best scoring wing on the offensive side. That's such a big part for him to be. He's really turning into the two-way guard that we hoped that he could be when he came in because his rookie season was was great. We were all like, holy crap, we found a diamond, found a diamond in the rush uh, in the rough now, and now he's shining like the diamond that we thought he could be. He's it's been it's been so much fun to watch. I'm so happy. I've been very happy too because it's been tough for the Grizzlies over the past five well, wait, no. It's been seven years since the Grizzlies traded Rudy Gay. Wow. 
I didn't realize that. It's a long time. So that's seven years without a good scoring wing. The best scoring wing the Grizzlies have had since Rudy Gay? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's definitely him. But I think other than that, it's like Quincy Pondexter and James Innes. Jeff Green. And Jeff Green. Yeah. So Maybe Seeley. Seeley was good. Lee was good. Seeley was really good. I enjoyed Seeley. The thing with Seeley that was always a complaint is... He just wasn't aggressive. He wasn't aggressive. Right. He would settle for mid-range jumpers when he should have been taking seven threes a game. Right. And so, I'm happy with Dylan Brooks. I'm happy with... Because honestly, no one... Honestly, I didn't even expect this this season. No, absolutely not. Like, I expected... Like, all season, I've kind of been beating the drum because I thought that he was going to be kind of the six-man spark plug for this team. And he's even exceeded what I thought it would, he was going to be because he's proven now that he needs to be in that starting lineup. He is a spark plug for this team when they needed it, especially early in games. I mean, how many games this season have we seen where the, the offense has started slow and Dylan was like, I got it for the first quarter. And he just kind of takes it on his back. It happens time and time again. And it, it's no mistake that we are 17-1 and when he scores 20-plus points. It, that's not a mistake. Right, and it's no mistake either that the Grizzlies have looked like one of the better— it's not even hyperbolic to say, but they've looked like one of the better teams in the league, record-wise, offensive-wise. Absolutely. And Dylan is also kicking ass. I mean, he's averaging 21 points a game in January. Right. I mean, like you said, he's been able to get his offense while— even if Jaron and Ja are struggling, and as you said a few weeks ago— I'm going to get mine so my homies can get theirs. Right. Like, and it's also just fun to follow him and see what he's doing and be happy for him because of his swagger, his personality. It's just, he's that guy that we needed, that kind of that X factor, both from just a swagger standpoint. Right. He's a guy that you put in a playoff series and his heat check can win you a game. Oh, absolutely. He and the thing about Dylan Brooks is, yeah, he has some irrational confidence in him, but you kind of need that, especially when you have John Morant, who already has. You could call it irrational confidence. I think it's pretty rational. Jaws, if he's most nights, he's at least top three players on the court. Jaws. Mm-hmm. Some nights he's the best, but every night he thinks he's the best, which is great. Every night Dylan Brooks thinks he's the best player on that floor. And when you have a team kind of have that mentality of, we are the best team on the court, we have the best guys on the court, that's infectious, and it spreads to everyone else, and it elevates the play of everyone. I mean, in the last 15 games, the Grizzlies are 12-3, and tied for second in the NBA, 119 points per game, second, 50% field goals, second, 29.5 assists, first, fifth in offensive rating, and then sixth in defensive rating. And Dylan Brooks is a huge part of of all of that, because he's not only just being more efficient on the offensive end, scoring the ball, but he's moving the ball better too. We've seen a few games in, the, in this little stretch that they're having that if he doesn't have it scoring, he's been trying to make plays happen with ball movement, and that's been fantastic because when the ball is moving for the Grizzlies, they're pretty damn lethal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm even looking at his stats right now since Jaw returned from his back injury, and this is in 26 games. He's averaging 19 points, three rebounds, two assists, and he's shooting 43% from three on six attempts per game. And he's also shooting 45% from the field, which is significantly better than his October and November splits mm-hmm. by a landslide. Well, and him keeping the on- – when Dylan Brooks has to keep the defense honest, they can't be switching on jaw as much. So they can't really hide a defender as much 
in that situation. And then you have Jaron running around the perimeter as well. So it opens up the paint so much for Ja to go in there and just do what he does and get to the rim and then kick it out to Dylan or Jaron if he needs to. It's surrounding Ja with these shooters and these scores that can make plays off the dribble when he doesn't have to set them up allows him to conserve energy to where he can go just go crazy in the fourth quarter like we've been seeing him because he's not having to do every single thing for his team. I mean, Dylan Brooks' off-ball movement is great. It really is, and he's also a pretty good playmaker. He doesn't – he's not going to, like, blow blow up the stat sheet with assist or anything like that, but he's going to – if he doesn't see his shot, he usually, he usually sees one that he likes – but lately, he's been kicking the ball out and finding other teammates. And I think that that's why his efficiency has has kind of caught up. And that's why his mm-hmm. consistency has caught up. Because we've always seen these flashes of scoring from Dylan. But the biggest thing against him was that it was never consistent. You would get a couple games of 20 points. And then you would have like three or four games of like nine points, eight points, seven points on like, on like five of 15 shooting and that stuff. But we, you haven't seen that since about the first month of the season. He has found his groove. He has found his role. And he's thriving in Coach Jenkins' system, which a lot of these players are. Coach Jenkins deserves all the credit in the world. That system that he brought in, it, it is working. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it kind of raises a question with me because obviously they're going to have to make some decisions this summer. Right. And Dylan Brooks is one of them. There's going to be a lot of backlash. You're going to have to pay him. You're going to have to pay him. Yeah. And the thing is, I think one thing that's nice is there's not a lot of teams with max money out there. Mm-hmm. Granted, a team could be dumb and give them like $18, $20 million. But if it came down to like, I think no less than $17 million. Because he's the kind of guy you need next to John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Brandon Clark. Because yeah. you need that X-factor on the wing that's going to have that irrational confidence who's going to be able to create his own shot because it's not even one of those things where like a lot of these guys are getting their buckets just off of launching three-pointers and all that. Like He's scoring in the mid-range, he's scoring at the rim, and he's shooting the three-ball at a high clip. And I'm just worried about the kind of backlash that you're going to get if you prioritize D'Anthony Melton over Dylan Brooks because D'Anthony doesn't bring that same scoring prowess that is captivating to the eye. You know what I mean? Right. Well, the things that D'Anthony Melton does is so subtle, but you need Dylan Brooks, I think, as your starting two guard. If he's going to be part of the future, he needs to be in the starting lineup for all the reasons you just kind of said. It's just, it's going to be tough because I we started the season, I thought, he would get somewhere between 8 and 12. Now it's like 12 and a half and 15 is kind of the range that we're talking, and it may be bigger. Um, it's going to be a really interesting decision that, decision that they're going to have to make because I do think that a team is going to try to overpay. I think a team's going to come in, and they're probably going to be like, this is Dylan Brooks. He's going to help us. We kind of wanted him to get him away from the Grizzlies as well. Here's this, here's this offer sheet, and it's going to be tough for the Grizzlies to make that decision to let him walk if it's, a, if it's a big number because he is so important to this franchise. And it's not like you can find Dylan Brooks on trees out there. Like, a will, two-way guard is very valuable. I will say, though, yes, you're, you will lose a lot with Dylan Brooks, but I think as far as his scoring goes, you're gonna, it's going to be made up for in the grand scheme of things because John Moran's going to become a 20-point scorer here soon. And probably into his prime when he works on that three ball and starts shooting that more. That's inching more towards 25. Jaron Jackson Jr., he's going to start becoming a 
22, 23-point scorer as well. And so that's already a 7, 8-point difference than what they're averaging now. That combined, that's like 15, 16 that you're getting from Dylan. Right. But also, too, I have faith in what this front office is doing. They can go out and find a scoring two-guard or two-way wing to complement Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. Yeah. But losing Dylan will be a stink if they lose him this summer. Right. Well, because that is a good point. Yes, Jaron can make it up, Ja can make it up, but that also puts more of a burden on the two of them that they have to fill that role instead of just having that third score that we can go to. Because we've seen it in the NBA, we've seen multiple duos in the NBA that aren't named LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard. Like, that aren't the major duos. They always need that third guy. They always need that third guy they can throw the ball to and go get a bucket when they need it. And Dylan Brooks is that guy for the Grizzlies. He has really emerged the last month as that guy for the Grizzlies, and they trust him, and it's that team chemistry there. Yeah, you could probably replicate it with a couple other players, but I would rather have that one guy that they're used to playing with that kind of has some dog in him. He's good defensively. He can help hide Jaron on the defensive end, or I'm sorry, hide Jaw on the defensive end when we need him to. And he's not going to break the bank, but he's going to cost a little bit. I'm okay with that. And he's also pretty young, which helps. I will say, when it comes time to giving Jaron that extension in 2022, I'm totally chill with him being the highest paid guy, or Dylan being the highest paid remaining salary guy. By a landslide because right. by then Kyle Anderson's going to expire. So is Jonas Valanciunas. And we're also getting to a point too with his play. And a lot of the guys that we were targeting prior to the season are guys like Bogdan Bogdanovich, Joe Harris, Malik Beasley. Are any of those players better than Dylan Brooks? No, if anything, they're equal. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just, but Dylan has that when he's on. Dude's pretty damn unstoppable. Like when oh, he's know, yeah. on, he fills it up so fast. And then I went back and looked at some of his games just to talk about kind of the, the that he's been making more of an effort for a playmaking. Just within some the last couple of games, he has like three assists, four assists, four assists, three assists, six assists, three assists, three assists. So like he's making plays on the offensive end that aren't just scoring the ball. Right. And it's one of those things like you mentioned. It doesn't have to be one of these things where he's at, he's putting up twelve assists, fifteen assists, ten assists. He's a secondary playmaker. Absolutely. And those are that's really good assist numbers from a secondary playmaker because Jaws averaging about six or seven. Tyus Jones is averaging five. Hell, even Jonas Valanciunas is averaging two assists a game. Yeah, and then you have Kyle Anderson in there. You have DeAnthony Melton making plays. And yeah, he's averaging assists. Like three assists. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's just a credit, again, to, to Taylor Jenkins' system even more. It's just... This all goes into them being the number one team in the NBA with assists. It's their offensive game plan just works so well with a guy like Dylan Brooks. And it is the fact that he can create a shot off the dribble. I mean, when you do talk about guys like Bogdanovich, it's, he's not as good off the dribble as Dylan Brooks is and because he's that big physical guard. He can make space with his body a little bit more. And I think he's a little bit better of a rebounder as well. Yeah, he's better rebounder than the numbers suggest, mm-hmm. for sure, because Crowder's a good rebounder. He's averaging like six rebounds a game. Jaren's averaging about five, and JV's averaging ten. There's not a lot of rebounds to go around there for Dylan Brooks. But, like you said, if he needs to go down there, he will. Yeah. I mean, he's shooting 47% from three in his last 12 on three makes a game. So that's about eight attempts a game? It's it's 6.9, so and see, seven, yeah. That was one of the things I actually wrote about earlier in the season, is I wrote how Dylan Brooks can do less 
by doing or how he can do more by doing less. Mm-hmm. And that was by cutting down those two point attempts, those long twos, and turning them into threes because he is one of the better three point shooters the Grizzlies have on this roster. And we're seeing that pay dividends because for one, Grizzlies are winning. That's the most important thing. They're winning. He's scoring more. And when you're hitting 47% from on your three-pointer attempts, you're going to keep firing. It's just going to give you that irrational confidence, and it's working. Absolutely. It's, and, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's just great to have him just opening up space in the paint because you have Jonas who can spread it out to the three-point line. You have guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. who can absolutely spread it out to the three-point line. Holy crap. Put him in the three-point contest, you cowards. But then you put... But then you put Dylan Brooks next to him as well. That you could have a lineup where every single player is a, is a threat from three point on the floor, mm-hmm. and every single player can defend, and every single player can make an offensive play when they need to. It's just it opens up so many lanes for the Grizzlies to explore offensively with their game plan. It just makes them so dynamic having him in the game. And yeah, you've said you could repli- you could try to replicate him with a few different things, but why would you mess up something that's already working? Don't don't fix it if it's not broke. It's not broke, so don't go try to fix it with someone else. Pay the man. Pay him. He's earned it. I'd pay him. I would pay him. I would, I would, because I don't think that there's anyone free agents or in the draft or anywhere through trades. I, I think it's, it's going to be tough to find a better player than Dylan Brooks. I got some spice. Okay. Let me feel it. I think Dylan Brooks is going to be, for Coach Jenkins, it's going to be Malcolm Brogdon with irrational confidence. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Big physical guard can handle playmaking responsibilities when needed. He'll guard the opposing team's best backcourt player. And when you need him to go out and score 20, 25 points, he's going to do it. And yeah. when he does it, you win. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing about him, too, is that that irrational confidence, I think it's, it's everyone talks about why is this Grizzlies team better than we thought that they were going to be this season. I think it has something to do with. You just happen to get a young group of guys that have the exact same mindset, and all they want to do is win. They they hate losing. Every single player on this team despises losing. You know, Jod does not want to talk to people when he loses. Dylan does not want to talk to people when they lose. Jaron does not. J- like, all of them. All of them are super pissed off when they lose games. And seeing that from a young team when they went into the season with about no expectations is super valuable. So having a guy like Dylan Brooks have some irrational confidence with John Morant and those guys, they're never going to give up on games. And we've seen it time and time again. If they lose, they usually try to have a fight and they usually come back. They, do, they haven't lost big in a long time. Like, yeah, they got kind of beat by the Pelicans, but they made a run in that fourth quarter because they were like, right, we're just we're coming back. And Dylan Brooks was a big part of that run. Oh, they got their ass beat by Boston last yeah. week. Well, but Boston's, Boston's really yeah, Boston's good. Boston's like elite. Yeah. yeah, Boston at home, elite. Jaw was also sick. So, mm. Jaw was also sick against Pelicans too. Yeah, people don't want to tell you that. No, though. the sniffles are tough, man. All right, so we're gonna take a quick ad break, but see you on the other side. And so, Connor, Dylan Brooks Island is under warning. Mm-hmm. Woj bomb warning. Oh yeah, because the trade deadline is a week away. And the Grizzlies are a player in the trade deadline, primarily with a piece, you know, that people know about him. The casual fan may not even know he's on the Grizzlies because he hasn't reported to the Grizzlies. It's Andre Iguodala. So. Who? Wait, who? I'm sorry. Iguodala. 
Different, who is different this? than Iggy Azalea. Oh, okay. It's Andre Iguodala. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I think they're cousins or something. Yeah, probably. But uh, anyways, the time's come where, because I think regardless, they have a trade that they could be like, okay. I think that they already have, they probably have one where if they don't get a better offer, they will take this offer. I, I really do think that there's one just kind of sitting there. Right. There's got to be. And ESPN's Tim McMahon reported that that baseline is Courtney Lee and a second-round pick from Dallas. Sweet! And that second-round pick is the Warriors pick that is slated to be probably between 31 and 33. Double sweet. And that would be fine because at the end of the day, you didn't get anything out of Andre Iguodala except for a 2024 first-round draft pick. Right. And a whole lot of noise. That's really all you got. Even with Courtney Lee, like I don't think he's good enough to crack the rotation at this stage of his career. Doesn't hurt to be on the bench, though. Doesn't hurt to be on the bench and doesn't hurt to be in the locker room. Right. And if for some reason this team makes the playoffs, he's going to help there. In some form or fashion, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean... He's been there. Yeah, he's been there. And it's one of those things if if Coach Jenkins wants to shorten his... If he wants to keep that 11-man rotation, he could be the 11th man. Right. Easily. But... I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where, at this point with the Andre Iguodala deal, I'm confident that it's going to be a good deal because guess what? You didn't get anything out of him anyways. Yeah. So you're, you're winning any trade. Right. Oh, there, there's no way to—the only way to lose with Andre Iguodala is if you buy him out. Yeah. I think that's the only way that the Grizzlies would lose in this situation because, like you said, Andre Iguodala is a little bit different than the situation with Solo and Jay in that— I would sell or I would trade Andre Iguodala for for a bag of chips and I would it'd be a W. Mm-hmm. It just give me anything. Give me any value for Andre Iguodala and it's 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 a, it's bonus. So mm-hmm. I'll take it 100%. What would you consider the biggest win in an Andre Iguodala deal? Oof. Pro- it would have to be getting like a legitimate prospect. Like a legitimate player under like 23. Or something like that. But it would have to come in one of those deals that you're not expecting. Like, I guess Justice Winslow would be like the biggest W I could think of for Andre Iguodala if that that deal ever happened. But I don't think it would. I mean, if I were Miami, I would use Winslow as that dangling asset for Beal or Holiday. Yeah, but I think healthy. One thing with Andre Iguodala that's so interesting is that everyone is assuming that this dude's going to come in and just like take whatever team he goes to to the next level. Are we sure he's going to do that? Are we sure he's going to do that? Like, in a situation like Justice Winslow, would you really? I would rather have Justice Winslow. Yes, he is. I know. Yes, he is. No, I'm talking about Andre Iguodala. Yes, he's going to help. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. my bad, my bad. Yeah, but no, we can delete I, it. <laughs> I agree. He's not going to do anything that Justice Winslow can't. It has to be a team like the Clippers or the Lakers or a real contender to take it to the next level. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I think he'd be a really good fit on Dallas, and he would absolutely guarantee that they would make it to the playoffs. But he's not going to win them a ring or anything like that. Oh, no, they're going to make the playoffs regardless, I think, Iguodala or not. He would think, help with their injuries. He would be a, an added piece. I think he would help be the difference between getting an early exit and making life hell for the first, that That's first round. Because I think in the right matchup, they could win. Because I got, for mainly whoever they're playing, aside from the Lakers and the Clippers, whoever they face in the first round. Oh, they round, could beat the Rockets. Dude, Rockets aren't going to get home court. No, they could beat the Rockets. I don't think either of those teams get home court, though. 
if I'm saying if they ran into each other somehow, because we don't know what's going to I mean, the next month's going to be w- just insane in the yeah. West. But I'm saying, like, they could beat the Rockets. I mean, let's go look at the but, Western Conference standings real yeah, quick. Yeah, I know two teams that they could end up facing in the playoffs are Denver and Utah. And in both of those series— Right now, they'd be playing Utah, and they— uh, that's tough. Utah's a really hard matchup for them. Who has the best player on the floor? I mean, Dallas, Dallas would, but it's like, da- that's dude, when, because Powell going down. Powell going down makes that Jazz matchup so difficult for them. Yeah, but just think about this. Put Chris Stops at the five, have Gobert guard him, and run that pick and pop I think with the, Luka and KP. I think the Nuggets do not want to see Dallas. The Nuggets so are the either. team that do not want to see Dallas. I don't think so either. And it's one of those things, too, where you look at a team like Utah, you go put Andre Udall on Bojan Bondanovic. Mm-hmm. And I, I like your chances there. But um, the one thing that they say is like one of those things that Memphis is holding out for a first-round pick. I don't care about a first-round pick, to be honest. For Iggy? Yeah, especially in this draft, because I was looking at I was looking at Gary Parish's mock draft. I was looking at ESPN's also. And they have like a lot of like younger wings. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, like they kind of fit a need a little bit. You can see what you got. I saw Cassius Winston in there, who I think I like the most just because he's an all American player. He's a he's not gonna suck. I like him. He's a dog. I saw Matthew Hurt down there. Matthew Hurt's dude, he's having a really good season at Duke. I think he's gonna rise up the draft boards anyway. He's having a very good season. He fits the NBA. He fits the like the this, like what players are doing in the NBA, he is that stretch four. I really liked uh, Vernon Carey. I saw him yeah, at, he's good. I saw him at that Clipper spot in Gary Parrish's mock draft, and it's like, okay, like he's a big body that can be your fifth big next year. This, and why not? This draft kind of reminds me of like the Oladipo draft, where it's there's guys that there's just not like a 100% home run type of player in this draft. It's a lot of question marks. A few of them could really work out. Like you have the Anthony Edwards, the Lamella Balls, the James Wisemans. That could work out. But at the same time, you could see them as being just normal NBA rotation guys. I just don't think that there's a superstar in this draft. Mm. No, I agree. And so that's why I would rather just focus on trying to get a Malik Beasley, mm-hmm. a Juan Herman Gomez, or... I mean, honestly, like in that Miami deal, I would like to do like an Andre Gudala and Jay Crowder for James Johnson, Dion Waiters, and Duncan Robinson. If we could get Duncan Robinson, that would be great. Because I, I think he fits Genghis' system. Yeah. You'd have two of the top five shooters in the league. Exactly. Oh, God, that'd be so amazing. But like one thing I just want out of this pick or out of this trade, and I think this is kind of why I'm like, mm-hmm. on Malik Beasley. Is I want it to be cost controlled for a little bit, because with Beasley, he plays the same position as yeah, that, Brooks and Melton exactly. And don't you don't you dare touch Melton. <laughs> and that, that's my thing. He's not better than any of those guys, no. and they're all free agents next season. No, and that's why it's the conversation for Iggy and some of these trade deals has shifted because of the play of a few of the players on the Grizzlies. At the beginning of the season, Dylan Brooks is not playing like this. De'Anthony Melton was certainly not anywhere close to playing like this. You didn't have these options that you have now like you did. So it doesn't have to be a home run for Iggy anymore. You don't have to get a wing player in return or a wing player that's going to fit in for the future in return. When you say that they're look, they're asking for a first-round pick, of course they are. Maybe someone's going to – they're hoping that a team panics and, and offers a first-round pick for Iggy. 
but they will take they will they will probably take a player in a second round pick or two players in a pick. Like it'll be some combination of that. I don't think an Iggy deal is going to be sexy, but I think in the long run it's going to be good for the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. I agree. Where do you think he'll end up? I I think he ends up with the Clippers and the Mavericks. I'm leaning Clippers. I think the Clippers going to get get down to it and they're going to say we have to kind of win this year, so we got to go for them. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was actually thinking in the card. It's like Kawhi and Paul George are free agents in 2021. You got to win this year. Have to win. And they have no assets. And the thing that they had their first round pick this year, and that's the leverage they have over the Lakers, is that they actually have a first round pick. And they have that Mo Harkless, $10 million that can can put him, Jerome Robinson, who's an okay prospect. He could come play with his dad, John Morant. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, wow, that was that was good. yeah family reunion, little family reunion. I like that. King King Climate bringing families together, but also he's another cost controlled asset because right. he will be under rookie contract next season, and I don't know about that next season, but still he'll be expi- He's an expiring deal, so like he won't be on the Grizzlies books for long. And he's also a player. He's fine if you need to use him. Cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if he needs to get a five-minute run in a game, sweet. He's not a bad player. He's a good player. I mean, if the Clippers are using him, he has to be Right. And Jerome Robinson okay. is, is a good defensive player, at least. Yeah. I mean, Grant, I don't think he's any better than Grayson Allen. No. No, he's not. But he's. it would be another one of those, like, it's for the Grizzlies, it's just, it's one of those things where I like the last guy on the bench for them. Just don't ruin that. It's it, All of these guys that we're talking about with the Niggy deal, none of them are going to be really be in the big-time rotation unless for some reason it's a home-run deal. We're looking for a guy that might be at the end of the bench that can come in and spot minutes when you need him. Now, imagine upgrading... Call, or Imagine upgrading... Coward... Wow, did I say Coward? I'm going to say Crowder. I'm just so used to saying, like, do it, Coward. Do it, Coward. Yeah, Jay Crowder is the furthest thing from one. But um, imagine upgrading even Solomon Hill mm-hmm. with Mo Harkless. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like Solomon Hill. Uh, I don't – but he's he, he is the most, I think, easily replaceable player on the Grizzlies is Solomon Hill. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, people argue Jay Crowder, but – uh, it's tough. Mm. It's weird, man. It's the thing with Jay Crowder. Yeah, he's he's having a bad shooting season. I know, but he's also shooting a lot. <laughs> it's it's just I don't know. It's I don't. The Kyle Anderson thing was interesting. The, like seeing Kyle Anderson in there and the Grizzlies losing absolutely no steps with him in there, being undefeated with him in the starting lineup. That's that's an interesting conversation to have. However. I'm not trading Jay Crowder just to trade trade Jay, Jay Crowder. I'm not going to do the same deal for him that I would do for Iggy. You got to give me some more for Jay Crowder. You just do. He's more valuable to the Grizzlies. He has a higher value than, than Andre Iguodala does. You could people can scoff at the off the court locker room impact that he has, but it's not a joke. It's real. It's a real thing. You've seen the relationship that he has with these guys. The young guys will go to war for Crowder, and Crowder will go to war for them. They need to know that. It's valuable that they know on the court they have someone that's going to go to bat for them every single time. Do you want to mess that up for a pick? No. no you just – you don't. I mean, I agree with that. I mean – And you don't have to sign them. Yeah, you don't have like, – you, you don't have to sign them. Everyone's acting like you have to sign them. You don't. 
I think it depends on the cost. If it's if it's cheap, you could do it. But what I'm saying is that there's nothing wrong with a player coming in, having a cup of coffee, helping your culture, helping build something here so it can continue, and then go into a contender and free agency. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't mm-hmm. have to get value for guys like the one of the things that the Anthony Davis saga and all these players asking to leave is that everyone kind of got in this mindset of, oh, this guy's got one year left. Got to trade him. Got to get assets for him. Can't let him walk. It's like, well, okay, it depends on the tier of that player. Jay Crowder is not one of those players where you're just going to beat yourself up if you let him walk. That's okay, especially if he helps you make the playoffs, especially if he has the impact that he's been having on these young guys like he has. He's putting work ethic into them that's important. It just mm-hmm. is. I was listening to the Vernon Show once, and they were talking about Jay Crowder, his impact in the locker room, how basically he's like, it's his locker room. Like, right. All the guys kind of like look up to him as a like big brother kind of thing. And it, he, I think, I don't know if it was Chris or John that said this, but the idea that you can even have Crowder around next year and then right after that, it's Jaws' locker room because he'll be ready by year three to fully have it in his hands. And he has that dominant personality, similar to like a Zach Randolph or Tony Allen and like, hey, this is my locker room. We're doing it my way or the highway. Right. That's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you had to put them in, in most likely to get traded to least likely, how would you put it? Of the three of them. The first one's kind of easy, but the, the bottom two I'm interested. I'll throw a curveball here real quick. Okay. So I'm going to add four. Oh. Andre Godala, Josh Jackson, Solomon oh, okay. Hill, Jay Crowder. Okay. Jeez, the Josh Jackson thing threw me off. I don't disagree with it though. I'm not. I'm not fully convinced that Josh Jackson is going to be on this team after the, after the deadline. And I'm not like fully convinced that he's a player for the future. One for the fact that it's like I want to see how good he is, and also in terms of prospect pecking order, it's Jaron Ajab one A one B, Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton. Tyus Jones. I even think you you need a good backup point guard for Jaw. Yeah, and he's been he's been great. awesome. After that slow start, he's been phenomenal, y'all. <laughs> DeAnt, DeLon, he's been right. awesome. Get out of here. And then Kyle Anderson. I don't think Kyle Anderson will be on the team. Well, Grayson pass. Allen. Would, exactly. Like, would you even have Josh Jackson above Grayson Allen? Hmm. In theory, yes. In actuality, probably no. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In theory, Josh Jackson would be the better prospect. In reality, I don't know. It's maybe in a, maybe in a different situation, but it's just I don't know. I'm gonna have to see Josh play with him. I, to be honest, I'm gonna have to see him get real minutes with him. Last night we saw a few minutes with with the Knicks, and he, fine, I guess he almost threw the ball away with the one time he tried to make a play. But it's just I'm just not convinced he's the he's gonna be part of the future. So if you can trade him, if you can, because I think that we've discovered that in the trade with the Suns, DeAnthony Melton was the real prize, not Josh Jackson. And the picks that you got with it. Yeah. <laughs> Climbing kind of Trojan horse, DeAnthony Melton, in that trade, if you know what I mean. Because a lot of people looked at it and they were like, Javon Carter for Josh Jackson. I think Climbing and company were looking at it as Javon Carter for DeAnthony Melton, and then they just added Josh Jackson to the piece. And that's how they got the Suns to bite, because they could get off of Josh Jackson. Mm-hmm. And then with Corver coming in, it's like, oh, this helps to I save money. I completely forgot that Corver was involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Corver was in the Conley deal. I completely forgot. Yeah, I completely forgot that he had a cup of coffee with us too. Eh, like the quickest. Yeah, it's like a espresso shot, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but and also too, coming into the summer, does he want to stay? Who 
Josh Jackson. Hmm. Dude had to put on a puppy uniform. Dude had to put. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey! Both of our dogs are on that yeah, puppy uniform, That's right. though. We we have no puppy uniform slander here. That's right. Especially with our friend being Mr. Hustle. That's true. That's true. But he was in South Haven. Longer than we all thought. I mean, granted, they probably had a better timeline that kind of fits with that. But still, in our eyes, we're like, damn, he's down here a long time. We expected him to be back after Christmas. Yeah. I think. But Unless, the team kind of hit their stride right then, didn't they? You can't put him in. You can't put him in. Who are you taking out? That's And that's kind of the thing that's been so weird about this season for the Grizzlies. It's become one of those, like, who are you going to take out? It's we were not expecting to have this problem. We have a great problem to have for the first time. And like you said, seven years, the Grizzlies have legitimate wing prospects and we're going to have to make a decision. We're not used to this situation. That's kind of beautiful. It's great. But yeah, it's I, unbelievable that we're here after where we were this time last season. It's unbelievable that we're a 500 team right now. It's unbelievable that they're in the eight seat. It's everyone. You could talk about the schedule. You could talk about the teams that they're playing, whatever you want to do. This team winning like they are and buying into Jenkins' system like it is already is not expected, and it's special. Have fun with it. It's I'm having the time of my life. I love this team. I'm having the most fun I've had watching a Grizzlies basketball game, I think, in three years. For me, it's longer than three years. Longer than three years. Because the, the end of G&G was weird because you knew it was coming to an end, but you were holding on, hoping that it was going to last. You know what I mean? The last, like, even in that Spurs playoff victory when Mark hit that buzzer beater, you kind of knew. You were kind of like, this is like the last moment, isn't it? That's true. It's tough at the end. That's very true. I just kind of knew after the, um, after that 2015 Western Conference Finals, I was just like, that's it. Yeah. So where do you think that Iggy's going to land? Clippers. Clippers. It's like you said, they like I feel like the Clippers will have to pony up and it's kind of like, well, we don't want the Lakers getting him. Yeah. Is it going to be a boring trade deadline? Very boring. Yeah, it's just no one really has cap room and and the contracts this season just don't happen to be as movable as they were last year. Last year's deadline, wasn't it like the most hectic deadline? In years or something like that, it seemed like it was the busiest deadline in a couple of seasons last year. Last year, I know for the Grizzlies, I didn't sleep for about seventy-two hours last year. I remember like waking up trade deadline morning with just like butterflies in my stomach because I'm oh, yeah. like, either Mike and Mark, either Mike or Mark are gone, or I'm about to raise hell because we didn't do anything. Well, just do you remember how many pump fakes we have, Mark? And that's what's so different about this front office to the last one. This front office moves in silence. You you ran this by me a few days ago. There may be a deal out there that we've never even heard. Mm-hmm. Most of the deals that they've made, we had no idea they were coming. The Toronto one, granted, the uh, Utah one. We we thought the Utah one was gone because right. Favors and Rubio expired. Right. And also, too, I was just hanging on to Conley for Hayward. I was hanging on. Prayers for Conley, man. Just prayers for our boy. Prayers for our boy. <laughs> but Connor, do you have any like, closing remarks? Any closing remarks? No. Have fun with the season, man. Even if they start losing games here soon, I don't think that they will. But even if they do, don't move the goalpost. Have fun with it. And just enjoy it. it. We've never had a player like Ja. We've never had a player like Jaron. We've never had a system like this. It's different than anything that we've ever seen. Enjoy it. Go to games. Go to games. Go to games. 888 Hoop. 
Yes, go to games. They are awesome. The Everyone that works in the promotions team for the Grizzlies has been doing great. Wexler's been kicking ass. It's just everything is going right for the Grizzlies, and you're going to want to be a part of it. You're going to want to be there. You're going to want to be able to tell people, I was there when the Jaw and Jaren era started. I was there. Exactly. More throwback nights, too. More throwback nights, too. Especially that Toronto Grizz one that's coming up. Mark's come back, too. Oh, I didn't even think about that. It's going to hit in the feels, man. Oh, my God. I'm not going to be prepared for that. Mike messed me up, man. Mm -hmm. But I guess my closing remark would just be one question. Are you ready for LeBron versus John the playoffs? Yeah, I don't. My body's not going to be ready for that. No, no, it's not. It's it, and it's it's going to be the it's going. I'm going to be in the weirdest box of emotions ever if if the Grizzlies upset the Lakers. It's going to be it's going to put me in such a weird position because y'all know I'm ride or die Grizzlies all the time. But like if they beat LeBron in the first round of the playoffs and like that got attached to it, it would be weird. It would just be like a weird conundrum for me to be. But if they did make the playoffs, I think that the Grizzlies would take one. I do. I think that they would get one at home. I think they would get one. Yeah. That's it, though. But like Rob, Rob's tweet about the playoffs was the best. What did he say again? He talked about how he hopes that the, it's the Grizzlies and the Lakers because he knows that like even if the Grizzlies are down like 20, Jaws just going to take a three in LeBron's face, and before it even makes it, he's going to say, I'm next up, and just turn around and walk away. And if that moment happened, it would melt the internet. And it would pro- I would probably just burst, just just explode from happiness. I got goosebumps. I'm so I'm saying, dude, John Morant. It's it's it. This is not hyperbolic. This is this core is going to be the best chance this team has at a title. Okay, do you? Know what, this is. I know we've got kind of closing remarks for the past like five minutes. We're doing the now. southern goodbye. The southern goodbye. Yeah. Yes. You say goodbye and then you say goodbye three more times before you get to your car. Yes. Exactly. I remember I was at Skybox with um, Nate and then one of my other friends from high school. And I made a joke and I said, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks would lead us to more success than the core four ever will. Was this before or after Jaw? Before. Ooh. But I also... Ooh, before Jaw. That's... <laughs> but, I, but, when they, but when they said, are you kidding me? I said, I never said they were going to be the first and second best players. And then John Morant showed up. And then John Morant and Taylor Jenkins showed up. Imagine if we had R.J. Barrett. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> maple uh, Code. What do you call him? Maple Mama? Get out of here. Somebody called him. Get Ma- out of here. Somebody called him uh, Maple Evan Turner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's gonna, I think R.J. Barrett's going to be fine. He's not, uh, he's not he's John Morant, baby. He's going to be good. He's, he's not like, John Morant, baby. I think, um, I want to say I told Sane... Anthony's saying that he's going to be left-handed hairs in Barnes. That's fine. That's a good player. It's all right. It's all right. Not, not a guy who's going to win you a ring or anything. No, nah, he'll get overpaid somewhere. Oh, God. Yeah, you're right. What are the Kings doing? That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. A whole what are the Kings pie. doing? Kings got a Kings, baby. Kings got a Kings. All right, with that, Connor, plug your stuff in. All right, you can find me every day, 2 to 4 CT, on Giannotto and Jeffrey. Uh, go check out the Kobe thing I wrote. I wrote a thing called Remembering Kobe Bryant for 929 ESPN, so go check that out. It's on my Twitter. Um, it, was, it was a tough day for a lot of us, so I, I felt like it was, I guess, my my homage to him and, and especially his beautiful daughter, uh, Gianna. So it's just a tragic thing that happened. I echo all that. Um, I send all my condolences to the Bryant family and the families uh, involved in that tragic, tragic accident. Um 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Read my stuff. Read everyone else's stuff at SB and Grizzlies at grizzlybearblues.com. And follow the Core 4 Podcast at the Core 4 Podcast with the number four, not the word four. And with that, we're out.